0: Well, how do you know you are loved, loved by God? Uh, some, I guess, would say, "Well, I know I'm loved because I've got such a good life, health, material blessings, a protected family." Uh, perhaps others would say, oh, "I know I'm loved because I've got this sense of inner peace. Uh, I even have a feeling of intimacy with God." So, what do you say? I know I am loved by God because few would give the surprising answer the author of Hebrews gives to those he is encouraging to persevere in the race of faith. You know, he says, you are loved by God because you are being disciplined by him. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he received. You know you are loved by God because you are being disciplined by him. As we saw last week, the author has called on believers to run with endurance, with determination, the course, short or long, that God has set before us. That is, the course of faith in Jesus that will bring us to what God has promised his people. The new Jerusalem, the city whose builder and maker is God himself, where we live in the presence of God. And in verses 2 to 17 of chapter 12, he's told us how we can run this race to the end, how we can keep going until the finish line, how we can sustain our determination to finish and not grow weary and drop out, not give up. As we saw last week, He told us we can keep running well to the end by firstly fixing our eyes on Jesus, whom he calls the author, the founder, and the perfecter of our faith, the one who brings our faith to God's appointed goal. Today we'll see that we can keep running well by secondly remembering that in being called to endure, we are being treated as sons. And then next week, thirdly, we'll see that we can keep running well by choosing the right route, choosing to give ourselves to pursuing what God calls us to. And so your outline is a little wrong. I'm going to stop at verse 11. It represents more aspiration than reality. So uh, we're going to stop at verse 11. Now, as believers who have started the race or as those who perhaps are interested, considering whether they will join this race of faith in Jesus, let's listen to the encouragement and instruction God gives his people to run well. The encouragement that will actually sustain you when you grow weary from the opposition you might meet to your faith, or when you grow tired from the trials that might befall you as you go through life whether that's sickness or grief or conflict or poverty or any of the myriad misfortunes that human life is subject to. Here God gives you a word that will keep you running and running to the end. In your struggle, verse 4, against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Our author moves from his call to fix our eyes on Jesus by reminding his first hearers that in struggling against sin in the world, whether that is, well, the sinful people like those who oppose Jesus or the common life of a society that has rejected God and is hostile to his people, in struggling against sin in the world, they have not yet experienced what Jesus has experienced. While these first hearers had lost property and been abused and slandered and imprisoned, they had not yet as a community experienced martyrdom. And first four is a reminder that Jesus, yes, he knows what we are going through and he has endured even more. And it's also a reminder to the first hearers and to us that there actually may be more. And so we need to be prepared. You see, the race is not over. And some of us, like believers in every age, may finish it, giving our lives for the gospel. So, says our author, now is not the time to grow weary. Rather, it's the time to be strengthening in our determination to finish the race well. And to help us do that, our author moves now to help Believers, you and I think rightly about what we're experiencing in the trials of this life. To think rightly about them by reminding us from the scriptures, Proverbs 3, of the purpose of those trials in God's love for us. And actually, that's always helpful in our trials, isn't it? To know that they're not random, but are purposeful. That they have a place in God achieving his good goal for us, that they're actually permitted, ordered by our God for our good. And so he writes, have you forgotten? It's so easy to forget, isn't it? Hardship can focus us on ourselves, and the busyness or difficulty of the present can drive for our minds things we know things God has told us for our encouragement, things we once took comfort in. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. If you're a believer in Jesus, God is addressing you directly here. That's right. God is speaking to each believer individually in his word. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as son? And it is very direct. Our author quotes here from Proverbs 3 from the Greek Old Testament. But he makes one alteration to the Greek Old Testament here, and it's adding that little word, my. My son, says God to each of you. He knows you, he owns his relationship to you. My son. And Son is inclusive of each one of us who believes in Jesus, no matter our gender or background. It's actually used so the first hearers could feel the full force of the privilege God is working for us by his discipline. Because you see, only sons were citizens and heirs and the purpose of discipline, instruction, as we'll see, (coughs) was to equip them to be full citizens of their city. As we understand why God used Son to address those first hearers, hopefully we also will feel the wonder of that address, that we too, by faith in Jesus, are citizens of the heavenly city and heirs of the eternal kingdom. So, hear what God's word is saying to you. You are to think of what you are undergoing in life, the trials of life, as discipline. And that discipline as an expression of God's love for you. In fact, verse 7 he says, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. Discipline is the purpose of your endurance in the race. It is the good God is working for you in your perseverance in the race of faith. Why is it a good? Well, because discipline is a sign of God's love because discipline is the means by which God equips you for the future that he has promised you. But discipline's not a popular term in our society, one easily misunderstood. For example, in our culture, we don't always associate discipline with love. In fact, often when we think of discipline, you know, we think of punishment, that smack, that being sent to the room. And we associate it often with harshness. (laughs) We don't think as we should of the training of a child by practice and correction so that they become responsible adults. In fact, in our society, there are foolish people who think that discipline is the opposite of love and that the loving thing to do for a child is to allow them free and unrestrained expression of all their desires and of their will. Uh, If you've encountered a child like that, you know how foolish it actually is, right? But, but what the first hearers were hearing when they heard the word discipline was something else. The word discipline is the word translator uh, is is uh, is pedaia in Greek, and that meant a whole lot more to them than punishment. You see, pedaia embraces the ideas of instruction and training and firm guidance in attaining the skills of life. And yes, it also had nuances of reproof, correction and punishment. Uh, For those in Greek cities, Padea was a term they knew that embraced the whole training of body and mind. All that was involved in equipping a young man, a man who would inherit his father's name and estate and status to participate in the public life of the city. Padea was for sons. It was they who, in a sense, had that investment. And it was all that was involved in equipping the son to participate as a full citizen, which only legitimate sons could do. And so citizenship was an important privilege and responsibility on which the well-being of the whole community depended There was a determination in this training of sons, a toughness to make sure it achieved its goal in their life. Error would be forcefully corrected. Training would continue until the task was mastered. So this word discipline was an idea that the writer's contemporaries easily grasped as he highlights in these verses the relevant features of discipline. And they think mainly of training, instruction, correction. And that kind of instructive training discipline is also an idea with an Old Testament heritage, even before Proverbs 3. You see, as we see in Exodus and Deuteronomy, God had called his covenant people his son. And he called his dealings with Israel over the 40 years of the wilderness wanderings his discipline of them. This is Moses speaking to them on the edge of the promised land. He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. See, Moses, God is saying to the Israelites, there was a purpose in that hard life of wandering in the wilderness, a purpose in that restricted and limited, even if miraculous, diet. And that purpose was not just the judgment of those who disobeyed way back in numbers when they'd come to the edge of the promised land and not gone up. No, the purpose was the preparation of those who had faith, the next generation, those who would inherit the promised land. God saying every circumstance of their life for those 40 years, where they went, what they ate, was actually teaching them what they would need to live as God's people, in God's presence, in God's place. And what did they need to live as God's people? Dependence on the word of God, that you might know that man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. What they had to learn, what they had to be trained for was to rely on that word, to rely on the trustworthy, the trustworthiness of the God who spoke it. That is, they had to become children of God, not children of Adam. You see, what did Adam do when he received the word? Oh, you mustn't eat it. Mustn't eat that fruit. On the day that you eat it, you will surely die. What did Adam do? The devil said, "You will not die." He believed the lie. Oh, this generation that God was going to bring into the Promised Land had to learn to have the attitude that was the very opposite of their parents of those our author if Hebrews is actually mentioned in chapter three. You remember though, that generation who hardened their heart to God's word and of whom God said they would never enter his rest. By his discipline, his training, correction, instruction of them in the wilderness wandering, God was preparing that generation for the occupation of their inheritance by equipping them with the one quality every son of God must have that Jesus showed in the wilderness, equipping them with the one quality they needed, faith in his word. And now here in Hebrews 3, God says to you if you're a believer in Jesus, that's right, he addresses each one of us as my Son. He says what is happening to you is purposeful and it comes from and is governed by love which seeks to fulfil that good purpose for you, to bring you to your inheritance in Christ by making you like the Son, Jesus, teaching you to rely on the word of God. It's against this background in their culture and the Old Testament that our author now brings out several features of the believer's experience that will help them run with endurance and not grow weary. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God's treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And if you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So the first thing he reminds them of is, well, that every true son is disciplined. Every true son experiences padea, training, instruction, correction. And so your trial, whether it's your rejection by your friends or your sickness or your struggle to find work is not a sign that you are not a member of God's family, not a sign that you don't belong or have been excluded from what God has prepared for his people. No, as a child of God, it's actually the opposite. Your having to endure trusting Jesus in these circumstances is a sign that you are a true son, and that God is working the circumstances of your life to equip you to be a full citizen of his kingdom. In fact, he says, it's unthinkable, believer, that God would leave you without discipline, without that training and correction, that God wouldn't shape your life. Unthinkable. That he wouldn't call you to train by enduring. It's only the illegitimate, those who have no right to citizenship or inheritance who escape discipline. In bringing you to endure trial, God is treating you as sons. And besides this, he says, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. The goal of God's discipline is so much greater than the goal of the discipline those first century sons had to endure at the hands of their human fathers. The goal of God's discipline is life sharing in God's holiness. And he works from their experience of their father's knowing discipline was the pathway to citizenship and inheritance, even if the discipline of their earthly fathers had at times been inconsistent and ad hoc, he says, you still respected them for their effort. That's still true for us, isn't it, who have earthly fathers who disciplined us. That may not be all of us, but many of us have. And when we've grown up, Well, yeah, we've come to the realisation our fathers weren't perfect, yet we still respected them for their efforts to make us useful adults, people who can be self-controlled and know how to treat others and actually make a contribution. In fact, as adults, we know we're a whole lot better off because of that imperfect discipline of imperfect fathers than we would have been if we'd been just left to ourselves. Well, says the author, if we've come to respect those imperfect efforts of imperfect fathers, isn't that all the more reason not to complain and fight against God's discipline? Isn't that all the more reason to submit to it, to humble ourselves in the circumstances of our life Under His mighty hand, trusting that our Heavenly Father is working our good in the circumstances in which He has called us to keep on trusting and following Jesus. You see, there's no imperfection in God's knowledge of you, nor is there imperfection of His knowledge of the best means to use to achieve the purpose of His training of you. And our Heavenly Father's never inconsistent in his relationship with us, never anything less than loving. Oh, and he's never off the job. He doesn't start and not finish. His is a long-term commitment. And our Father has the power to achieve his purpose, to order all things to serve his good purpose for us. Shouldn't we submit to him? And he is the father of spirits, the source of our spiritual life, exalted over all, the source of the life of heaven. A life we have as we humble ourselves to trust and do his will in the circumstances he has created for our persevering obedience. And it is a great good, he is working in our training, that we may share his holiness. He's equipping us through this discipline and instruction to live with him, to live in his presence by conforming us to the character of his Son through what we undergo. That's right, the Son, Jesus, who we saw in Hebrews 5, learnt obedience through suffering and so was equipped to be the Son who saves And the obedience he learnt through suffering was the obedience where you keep on doing what God has said just because he has said it. The obedience that knows that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, that it's God's word when all our circumstances speak against it, that it is God's Word that is the path of life and blessing. And so, God's Word is saying in your trial, as you persevere with faith in the Son Jesus looking to Him, remember God is equipping you to share in the life of the true Son, the Son who is now in the presence of the Father, the Son who is the heir of all things. You see, your heavenly Father does have a greatest, greater purpose for you, a good you can scarcely imagine. You might be content with being accepted by all now, living in peace now, being able to just get on with your own business, being well now. And they are all good things. But God has a greater purpose for you that you share in his holiness, that you live with him forever and you need to trust him that he knows best how to realise that purpose for you. Ah yes, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. God knows that this equipping, this training can be tough in the present, even though it comes from God's love for us. He knows that it's often grievous, not joyful. And that's true, isn't it? Discipline can be tough. Training, painful. Think of the hours of training an athlete does, the hours away from family, the injuries they experience along the way. They're not much fun in themselves. But they persevere because the prize is worth it and they know their training will help them attain the prize. Oh, and discipline, training, it can be tough for us as followers of Jesus. Whether that's being lonely at work or uni or school because you believe in Jesus and you persevere in doing his will and confessing him or persevering when you're the butt of jokes and put-downs, or you're not experiencing full health, or you're struggling in a lonely marriage. This training that comes from enduring being faithful to Jesus in the circumstances of your life can be tough. That's the now. Our author says, think of the then. Don't lose sight of the goal of God's discipline that peaceful fruit of righteousness. Now we start to enjoy that benefit even now in the present as we learn that God is faithful in all the trials of life, as we let God turn us away from sin and teach us to depend like Israel in the wilderness on his word alone, as we learn to trust him and humble ourselves under his sovereign hand. I mean, that does bring peace, peace experience now in right relationship with God through trusting his son. But the peaceful fruit of righteousness is more than that. The outcome of God's discipline embraces the final goal, righteousness, the covenant conformity in all our lives that allows us to live with God forever, enjoying peace with him. The righteousness... That is the mark of God's true people, those who enjoy God's peace, wholeness in the joy of his presence. My son, it says, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. You know, that's an invitation to reflect on God's dealings with you to reflect on the purpose for which he has ordered the circumstances of your life, to recognise his great goal in them, to bring you to the inheritance of his son. It's an invitation to reflect and to know in the circumstances of your life your father's love. Is that the way you think about your life, your trials? Have you forgotten this word that addresses you as sons, that addresses you individually? My son. God is saying to you in his word. But you'll only engage in that reflection. You'll only know the comfort of it if you actually know you are God's child, if you are convinced that in all things he is treating you with love. How can you be sure, especially in trial, when things don't seem to be going the way you expect them to go for those who are children of the great King? How can you be sure when life is just hard and full of grief and frustration, whether that's sickness or loss or broken relationships or unjustified hostility or frustrated hopes? How can you be sure that God is addressing you, my son, and dealing you, with you in love? Well, there is only one way. It's by doing what our author says is the first thing you need to do to run well. It's by fixing your eyes on Jesus. Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who has blazed the trail for you to God's presence, the one who brings faith to its goal by the sacrifice of himself, the one sent into the world to save, the one who humbled himself to learn obedience through suffering so that he could be equipped to be our eternal saving high priest, the one who took on our flesh and blood to defeat death by his death and who is not afraid to call you his brother. Outside the gospel. That Christ died for your sins there is and can be no assurance of God's love that will sustain you in trial when all the evidence of your senses all that appears to your sight, all that you feel cries out that you are forgotten or even that God is angry with you there's no assurance outside the gospel that Christ died for your sins that will sustain you in thinking these trials come from the hand of my heavenly Father for my good and in disciplining me, training me, training me to rely on his word are an expression of his love. There's no assurance outside the gospel and there is every assurance in the gospel for it teaches us that God has shown his love for us in giving his son to die for us while we were still sinners. That's right. That God loved us when what we deserved from him was anger and condemnation. And that's what our rebellion against God, our misuse of his world and his gifts, our determination to deny him any place in our lives, our idolatry of created things, that's what our sin assuredly does deserve. Yet in believing the gospel, we come to know God has not treated us that way. In believing the gospel, we can come to share Paul's confidence in Romans that he, God, who did not spare his own son Jesus but gave him up for us all, will he not also graciously give us with him all things? You see, when you're convinced of the gospel, that Jesus has died for your sins, you will be convinced, you'll be confident that your endurance is for discipline, the instruction, training and correction that is the means God uses, your heavenly Father uses to bring you to share in his holiness, to live in his presence forever. Because in believing the gospel, you confess, you are convicted that God has given his son for you freely of his love and mercy where there was no deserving and with that conviction you know he will give you all that he has promised that he will work all the circumstances of your life to bring you to himself that he will never fail of his love for you so this morning Are you convinced of the truth of the gospel? Will you say, take the bread and the cup, knowing that Jesus has given them to you as a sign of his death for you, my body given for you, so that you can share in the benefits of his death? in taking the bread and the cup, in believing the gospel? Will you know that you are loved beyond all the pain and grief of your present life? Know you are loved in all the pain and grief of your present life. That God is treating you as his son, brother or sister, his son, someone that the almighty God is determined to bring to live in the heavenly city as a full citizen who belongs there with all the rights and privileges, someone on whom he is determined to bestow an eternal inheritance. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God, your God, is treating you as his son. Let's pray.